Okay, I think it's working. Um, oh, I'm just going to put the title for the streaming. Uh, Okay, um, so can, can you all hear me? Can somebody, yeah, you can hear me Padmanam Marsh? It's all good, okay. And Sham can hear me outside. Okay, so I guess I'll start. Auma Gyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militamina Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. Narayanam namaskritya naram chaiva narotamam devim sarasvatim vyasam tato jayam mudirayat panchakalpa taruvyascha kapa vacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. So, hi everyone. Um, I think I know most of the people who are on here, but well, maybe not. Um, so, my name is, uh, I'll introduce myself first just quickly before we get into the to the text. My name is Gorsundar Das. Um, I live here in Gumraj's project in Madhuvan in Costa Rica. I've been here for, for, uh, for quite a while. Um, it's a very beautiful place, looking out the window at the, the beautiful landscape. Um, it's a place that, that, that Gumraj was hoping would be, uh, hoping and is, is a place of pilgrimage for our Sangha. It takes a little bit of work to get here. Um, not so much, but but uh, like a place of pilgrimage, you know, you got to put it in a, put in a little effort. But it's a really beautiful place, um, and I know that Gumaraj wanted the devotees to come here and visit. So I'll just uh, take a second to plug a put a little plug in that, of course, you're all welcome, and uh, more than that, invited to come and uh, visit us at Madhavan. Gumaraj wanted it to be a place where the devotees from all over the world, from Poland and Europe and South America, would come and visit. And um, it's a beautiful place, beautiful landscape, beautiful animals. Krishna and Balaram are here. And we have nice little uh, little cabins for rent at a very reasonable price. So you should uh, come and visit us when you have a chance, perhaps when the, um, the whole COVID situation uh, relaxes. But uh, Costa Rica is actually pretty, one of the few places that you can visit. All you need is uh, some health insurance. And then you can come and visit us. And uh, I also just wanted to say thank you to Padmanam Maharaj because um, it's, a, it's a very nice thing that he's organized here. Um, it's very nice for me <laughs> because uh, um, despite living in the ashram, often the, the you know day-to-day -day life takes over and I, I haven't been reading so, so um, contemplatively lately. So being asked to, to speak about something means mostly it's beneficial for me because uh, it's, it forces me to, to read a little bit more contemplatively and thoughtfully. Uh, so I appreciate um, being put into that position. Um, and also, it's, it's also really nice. I'm seeing now people, uh, 
you know, a whole bunch of names coming up on the screen of people that um, I've never met, devotees that I've never met, and our sangha is pretty spread out. So it's a really nice way for us to, um, you know, to get to know each other. And uh, hopefully you'll get to know me a little bit and you'll get to, to come and, and uh, meet in real life and come and visit us here in Madhavan. So I'm gonna talk about the, uh, the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, the second chapter of the first canto. Um, so I guess I would say, first of all, the, the Bhagavatam um, is very much like a book of, of questions and answers. Um, and that, that's very apparent in this, this section that I'm gonna talk about. Really, the, the landscape of the Bhagavatam is, is, you know, different people, series of questions and answers, and within those answers are stories of more questions and answers and whatnot. Um, so it, it, it gives a little bit of, it, it shows what, you know, it emphasizes questions and answers and how important the, you know, that, that process is um, to our sadhana. It's, you know, and in fact, it's a form of, of uh, hearing and chanting asking questions and listening to the answers. Um, that's why the, the Sunday call actually is, is so, such an uh, important thing, such a nice thing that <clears throat> Gurmars does because in the Sunday call, we, we really have a chance to associate with a sadhu and ask questions um, and get, get answers. And like we'll see in this, this first chapter and the second chapter, that's what's going on. The sages at Naimisharanya are in the presence of a sage, um, Sutta Goswami, and they're asking questions and answers. So uh, the, the, the Sunday call with Gumraj um, is a really nice opportunity to, to participate in the Bhagavatam in that way, uh, being in the presence of a, of a sadhu and being able to, to ask questions and, and get the answers. And um, well, this is really what the, the 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 relationship between the guru and the disciple. It's a, a fundamental part of, of the the relationship with the guru and the disciple. Um, there's that verse in the Gita where they describe that in terms of uh, a humble inquiry and service and whatnot. And it's a, it's a key point. This this um, asking questions and getting answers. And it's a it's a key point of of, of bhakti too. You know, hearing and chanting, shravanam and kirtanam. So. It's a it's a very beautiful beautiful chapter where where I think we're introduced we're introduced at least to um, the personification of kirtan um, out of the the limbs of bhakti. Here is we get introduced to Sukadev Goswami through Sutta Goswami, who speaks of his in, encounter with him, and it, and the second the second chapter is it's a really beautiful chapter. Gumaraj told me a long time ago that I should study this chapter. And um, I think he also maybe commented a little bit about how he had studied it as a, as a young man or or at least um, how it stood out to him as a young man because there there's a lot of really, really famous verses in the second chapter. Um, a, lot of, a lot of foundational verses. Uh, you'll be surprised. Many of the verses that you hear quoted and over and over by, um, you know, by, by speakers, by people who have a good knowledge of the verses uh, come from this second chapter. Um, so it's a really nice chapter to, to study and to learn. It's a really nice chapter to learn to recite as well, if you're, 
if you're so inclined. Um, I found I found a nice uh, a nice recitation of this chapter by uh, there's probably lots of them around now, but um, and you know I just listened to it. I just listened to the recitation of the of the Sanskrit, and um, you know there's some there's some power in that to hear these beautiful verses recited. Gumaraj always you know he often says like the Bhagavatam is is poetry, and um, I, I think poetry is something that's also meant to be heard uh, along with just written, sorry, just just read. My um, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband is, he's like a, a legit poet, um, like published and he, he teaches at a prominent university poetry and stuff. And I remember just when I was getting to know him, I, I was, you know, I tried to read his poetry and I could not, I could not digest it or get into it. But then he invited me to a poetry recital and I went and I heard him uh, recite his poetry. And um, it, it kind of, it kind of like it opened it up for me. So it's nice to, to hear these verses recited as well. Um, it's very, very beautiful section. So this is the beginning of the Bhagavatam. I'm, I'm doing, doing this, the second chapter, but there, so there's only just one chapter that comes before it. And these, these initial chapters, I think maybe, um, maybe the first two cantos of the Bhagavatam are referred to um, as the feet. I think often in, in, uh, in Hinduism, things are personified and, and described as the body of God or the body of, of, you know, well, I guess the body of God. So it's, it's a very nice way to speak about it. Uh, you know, the universe is described as the body of God with the, the lower planets as his feet and, and um, moving up or the, I think the social system is also spoken of as the, the body, the body of God with the, the workers as the, or the laborers as the feet and the administrators as the arms. So it's something that we see a lot in, in Hindu scripture. And, and the, the, the first two chapter, the, sorry, the, I think the first two cantos of the Bhagavatam are described as, as the feet of the Bhagavatam. And it's an apt uh, comparison because, especially with the second chapter, because there's so much uh, foundational information um, in, this, in this second chapter. And um, so we'll go over it and it's worth, like I said, uh, the reason it's a good chapter to study and uh, you know, not, not all of us have great memories. Some devotees have exceptional memories and some devotees have poor memories such as myself, but um, it's still worth, uh, I think, learning to memorize and recite a few of these verses um, in this chapter because uh, you've got it, they really like provide the, Kind of foundational ideas of what is bhakti, what are the stages of bhakti, who is Bhagavan. And, um, you know, it's good to it's good to know what you're doing. So I'll just do a quick summary of the first chapter, which leads us up to the second chapter, where I'm going to start uh, going over the verses. I think the second chapter has 34 verses. So using my calculator, I, I divided that, and I think if we do about five or five to six verses a class and will be done in, in six classes. So the, the Bhagavatam begins, of course, with the beautiful Mangala Charn, um, beautiful verses, um, uh, and, and goes into this, begins the narrative with the sages, uh, the sages um, at Naimisharanya, a holy place. 
that's very suitable for performing austerities and sacrifices and things like that. So we encounter these sages um, in the forest of Naimisharanya doing, doing sacrifice, but they're described as doing sacrifice in order to attain svarga or heaven. Um, and that is of course, until Sutta, until Sutta Goswami's influence changes the nature of their question. And this is uh, certainly the, the experience that I had. And I think many people have in that you're going through your life, um, you know, basically trying to achieve these, the, the, the types of things that, that the state, like that, that heaven entails, you know, things like longevity and health, mostly pleasure. Um, we're going through our lives pursuing these things until out of some great, uh, great, um, uh, swipe of luck, we we come in, in touch with the devotees or with the sadhu, and it that really can can change one's life and set one on a different course, change the nature of what one is interested in. Um, so these sages were were per, per, pursuing those types of things until the the influence of Sutta Goswami um, kind of changed it and the nature of their their questioning changed. Um, I know living in living here in Costa Rica, it's a little bit different than living in North America, and and um, one doesn't have access to Amazon or all the kind of all the resources and things that are available in North America. I remember Gumaj um, flew Sham Sundra and I up for for John Mastami one year, because um, yeah, because we were here alone, and when we got to the states. It was like it was like arriving in a heavenly planet. Um, you know, the roads were smooth, and you could get whatever you want, whatever whenever you wanted. Amazon is like that, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, you just order whatever you want, and it appears on your doorstep. It's it really is like a heavenly planet. Uh, and and you know, when I leave Costa Rica and I get to go go to go up back to Canada or whatever, you really realize. And I mean, that's what the whole world is is kind of working towards is. Um, I mean, maybe it's described a little bit differently in the in the sacred texts in terms of you know sages and and going to some kind of heavenly planet. But really, that's what we're trying to do on Earth is create you know pleasure, longevity, all these types of things for ourselves. Until the until we run into the devotees and uh, you know our, the the course of our life life can can change dramatically. Um, and also the the nature of the the questions of the sages. Um, changed under the influence of Sutta Goswami. They became like existential questions instead of, you know, they, the, the run of the mill type questions about how to uh, enjoy or how to pursue one's health. Uh, um, they changed to these kind of, you know, existential questions and, and very refined ones at that. Um, uh, uh, we'll go into that. They, they, they list the questions in the first chapter, um, but they, they, like Gurmaj often says, um, you know, most of the natural world or most of material life is um, trying to answer questions um, about how, how to do things, how to achieve this, how to, instead of these kind of existential questions as to like why, why. I was always surprised and, you know, when I, when I had my kind of existential crises and things that are in high school or after that, even that so many people weren't asking these questions. It was baffling to me that people did, not everyone, everyone wasn't having an existential crisis. Like, you know, we're all hurtling towards 
uh, entropy and oblivion, and how can it, how can people not be asking these questions? So this is kind of the emphasis, uh, an emphasis that's really strong in the first and second chapter, uh, the the importance of um, of this question and answer, this dynamic between the the student and the teacher, and the, how almost everything that we need is found found in that. So they asked six questions um, in the first chapter. I'll just read them quickly. They asked about and these are, you know, kind of refined existential questions. They asked about what, um, I'm just reading it here from, from this commentary. Uh, what is most beneficial for humanity? What is the essence of the scriptures? Uh, tell us about Krish the purpose to Krishna's appearance, the pastimes of Krishna, the stories of the avatars, and the shelter of Dharma, uh, now that Krishna has departed. So basically, um, after being... Uh, blessed and influenced by Sutta Goswami, the sages asked these questions and the, the remainder of the Bhagavatam really is, is just um, answering these questions or answering questions within these questions. And um, some of the answers are given for at least, um, I would say the first two questions are answered very clearly in, this, in the second chapter. Um, two beautiful Beautiful verses. So this was uh, greatly pleasing to Sutta Goswami um, and inspires basically his invocation and his the beginning of, of his recitation of, of the Bhagavatam, which begins here in the second chapter. So I've got a, I've got Prabhupada's here and I've got Vishnu Chakravarti. I'll just uh, I'll just chant the, the verses. Actually. It's worth saying Prabhupada has a really nice title for this second chapter of the of the Bhagavatam. He uh, entitled it uh, "Divinity and Divine Service." So that that basically translates out into uh, bhakti and Bhagavan. So this this is a chapter about bhakti and and Bhagavan, divine service, bhakti, and divinity, Bhagavan. Um, and Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments that this comment deals with you know, three very important things. We hear these words a lot, abhideya, the process, so bhakti, um, prayojan, the goal, and the object of worship, Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Um, so there, there's a lot of it, like I've probably been repeating myself, there's a lot of very nice verses in this chapter. Um, there's a kind of seminal definition of bhakti, which we'll get to, I think, maybe in the next class, um, which is always useful to know <laughs> and to be able to, recite so that we can remind ourselves what we're involved in and, and if, if so inclined, share it with others. Um, there's the stages of pro progress. Um, the stages of bhakti are also found in this chapter, which is very interesting and very exciting. This is kind of, I think, what probably the, the stages in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu are based on. You know, first comes faith, then holy association. Um, that, th those stages are found here. And also there's another very kind of core description of what is the absolute, a very a philosophical um, kind of uh, answer to what is the absolute. We find this also used in the Chaitanya Charitamrita when Krishnadas Kaviraj in the beginning, I think it's probably covered by Guru Maharaj in his book, um, Sacred Preface, where uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj um, describes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Brahman as the effulgence from his body and the Paramatma as his partial, uh, his plenary portion and whatnot. So that's also based on a verse that's coming up in this chapter. Okay, so the first verse, 
Vyasuvacha, iti samprasna samhristo vipranam romaharsanai, prati puja vachastesham pravaktum upachakrame. So Ugrashava, Sutta Goswami, the son of Romaharshana, being pleased with the questions of the Brahmanas, thanked them and attempted to reply. So uh, the first line here, it says, iti samprasna samhristo. And this, this basically translates as um, uh, the word samprasna means perfect questions and samhristo means perfectly satisfied. So uh, Sutta Goswami here is really appreciating the questions that were posed by the sages. Um, he, was, he was appreciating that they were existential questions, not, not uh, trivial questions. He was appreciating that they were ex existential questions and, and that they were the questions that come from people who are really uh, earnestly seeking, um, seekers. And this is, I think there's, there's in the Gita describes there's four types of people that come to bhakti. And they are, one of them is seekers. <laughs> the other ones are those um, after wealth or, or, or after wealth, uh, those in distress, um, which is very understandable. This is a distressing world. Uh, those who are seekers and those in knowledge. And the sages of Naimisharanya are an example of, of, um, of seekers. So they're a little bit on the higher end of of who approaches. Um, and so he was appreciating this because they were asking kind of like, uh, you know, like real questions, legitimate questions, not just uh, trying to gather information, gather details. They were asking kind of uh, uh, core questions because I always liked how Gurmars described that, you know, you know, knowledge is, is very much a burden unless it informs some kind of action. And, um, Gumaraj has made that point, and he's he's he, I think he relates a story once of Sri Amar saying, you know, I'm not an information booth here. I'm 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 giving these this information and this question so that it'll inform action and inform your 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 progress. So these were the kind of the, the perfect questions, and some are still he was very satisfied. Um uh, Sutta Goswami was very satisfied with these questions because he knew that because of the nature of these questions, the only thing that would answer them would be what? Would be the Bhagavatam, which he had heard from, from, from Shukadev Goswami. So he was very happy with the nature of the questions, knowing that the, only, the answer to these questions would require him to recite, um, recite the Bhagavatam, which he had heard. And, and of course it brings back kind of the same, you know, would bring back the same <clears throat> situation to his mind where Maharaj Parikshit was, <clears throat> You know, cursed to die, and and uh, and also had these very pressing, um, um, essential questions. And this, you know, the nature of these questions is what drew, um, uh, drew a, a Shukadev from the forest um, to speak him. So, so, so Sutta Goswami here is remembering that, and he's very happy and he's very pleased because he realized he he knows that the only thing that will satisfy uh, and answer these questions will be uh, the recitation of the Bhagavatam. So, um, so there's this dynamic going on between the, 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 the questioner and the speaker. Um, 
and this is the this is kind of emphasized in these chapters and it's it's also kind of what is what is core to the to the um the teacher student relationship the guru uh disciple relationship the 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 you know the earnest um need <clears throat> draws out this kind of mercy well I mean the earnest need drew drew Shukadev you know out from the forest there was no uh you know the I don't know some kind of psychic smoke signal you know but but really it was the earnestness and the necessity of Berkshire Marge drew him out you know kind of magically so this these kind of earnest questions um you know it's like taking taking one step towards Krishna then, then he takes 10 steps towards us. Um, and it, it reminds me kind of, of like, I mean, I, I wasn't there of course, but I've, I've certainly benefited from the earnest questions of Prabhupada's disciples. You know, after Prabhupada left, um, left the world and passed on, you know, his disciples were left with many, many questions and, and they were directed towards Srila Sridhar Maharaj and they approached Srila Sridhar Maharaj, I think with, with the same kind of, um, earnestness and 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 so much came out of Srila Sridhar Maharaj because of the questioning and earnestness of Prabhupada's disciples. Now, certainly, it was it was there in in Srila Sridhar Maharaj, and there were, he had had published beautiful works and beautiful songs and whatnot. But it seems that that this this arrangement of of having these young, needy, earnest students, um, you know drew out a whole a whole wealth of new new news talks and stuff on on these types of subjects those books were made and and published you know books that have been very important to me like Sri Guru and his grace um were all made uh you know by the questioning of these of these sincere sincere students so it's really a you know it's these types of questions are a good sign of of health for the students um and and you know we're very happy that that uh, we have have question and answers every Sunday, and there are so many devotees that have so many so many nice questions. And in fact, I mean by by asking these questions, it's that's how one uh, discovers discovers um, or encounters Sri Guru. Uh, first, you have to ask questions before you know that you've 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 encountered the Guru. I, most people don't. Um, at least that I know, most people don't, you know, just just real have a realization. Oh, this is my guru. Usually, they go through a process of asking questions, having their doubts removed, and at a certain point, the there's kind of an aha moment. Certainly, this is um, how most of the people that I know have kind of like realized that they had had been blessed with finding their guru as they approached, who was a, a teacher. Um, they put their doubts before the teacher and the teacher was able to eradicate those doubts by quoting the scripture. And they were like, ah, I, I, that, that's certainly how it happened to me. So, you know, asking questions is, is a very, very good sign of, of health. Um, so he was delighted by the questions that uh, some hirsto and he thanked them like a, like I suppose a gentleman would. He says in the next line, what well, says vipranam roma harshne prati puja vachastam so he he um Prabhupada says he thanked them in this translation it said he respected their words and i've heard gumar saying he worshiped their questions uh this word prati puja i assume it 
I assume it's connected to the word puja, which means, which means worship. So very much like a gentleman, um, he respected their questions and he offered respect to those um, who in a sense are below him, um, you know, which gives an indication of Sutta Goswami's nature. Also, what's interesting here is he's referred to as the son of Romaharshana, uh, Roma, Romaharshana. So uh, that's an interesting contrast and interesting uh, that, that, that this name was used to describe Sutta Goswami because it shows a very big contrast between him and his father. So uh, Sutta Goswami was the son of Romaharshana. So the, the son does not always follow in the footsteps of the father. I don't know if you guys know the story of Romaharshana. Um, it comes later in the 10th the canto of the of the Bhagavatam when uh, Balaram, while well, Balaram has decided not to become involved in, in the, the impending war and leaves, I think to go, maybe he goes to, to um, uh, deal with a couple last demons and he ends up at Naimishranya where Ramaharshan is on the Vyasasan uh, speaking to, to sages gathered there and Ramaharshan does not all the sages get up and offer respects to Balaram, knowing, you know, very well who he is. But Romaharshana does not, uh, and doesn't doesn't offer respect to Balaram. Excuse me. Um, in the way he in the way he should, and and Balaram becomes transcendentally angry and kills him with a with a little piece of grass. But um, it's it's interesting that that the the contrast is made because. Romaharshana here is not even, well, first of all, he doesn't even realize that Balaram is, you know, Balaram is the Vedas personified or, or you know, Ananta Shesh is constantly singing the Vedas. So this Balaram appears before him and he doesn't even offer respect to him and com compare and contrast that to Sutta Goswami here, who is in reality, you know, superior to the, to the sages, to the questioners, but he's offering his respects you know, to the question, whereas his father wouldn't even offer, he's offering his respects. What I mean to say is he's offering, he's such a gentleman that he's offering his respects to those who are in a position below him. Romaharshana wouldn't even offer respects to those, to he in a, in a position above him. Um, so the contrast is, is made here. And it's a nice, you know, it's, it's a really nice aspect of Vaishnav culture is this kind of, you know, this, um, this hospitality. Romaharshana didn't even stand up when 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 um, Balaram arrived on the scene. So he was not showing a very good example of Vaishnav hospitality. Um, Vaishnav hospitality is is you know it's it, it's a it's a hallmark hallmark of our practice. I've heard even that I heard this from a. a a devotee who was here once because he had experienced it that even if, if you're a pujari on the altar and you're offering worship to the deity and there's nobody else around which that happens a lot here you know you're just you're, you're there doing the deity save and there's no and a guest was to arrive and there were no other devotees around to welcome that guest that uh one should you know ask the the deity form to please excuse you for a moment so that you could go and uh, and tend to to the guests who have just arrived. So Romaharshana did not do that. Um, but anyhow, it shows how how much hospitality is is an important part. And um, the contrast is is made between father and son. Sutta Goswami 
showed respect to those below him. It, it makes me think of the Pope actually, where the Pope is also seated sometimes on, a, on you know, the throne of St. Peter or whatever. And, um, but there's a ceremony that they do in Catholicism. It's just, it was, it was always quite striking to me where the Pope gets down and washes the feet of, of some prisoners every year, some, some, some criminals. So the, the person who's in the high position, um, you know, shows respect and humility before those who, who are in a lower position. I saw just recently too, he had, the Pope had some visitors from Africa. They were some dignitaries or something like that. And um, he knew their culture. So when he went up in front of each one, um, he got right down on the ground, you know, and like offered offered obeisances or kissed their feet. It was just really quite striking because it required like three men for him to get down on the ground, three men to get him back standing up. And he went all the way through the line of people doing that. Um, I think there's some beautiful stories too about um, uh, Puri Maharaj was also very much like that. Even as an old man, he would get right down on the ground uh, needing assistance from his disciples to get down and get up. It's something to see an, uh, an old man get down on the ground. But anyhow, this, this, um, I think this, this contrast is, is shown by using this word, Romaharshana. Um, so, uh, so basically they're perfect questions, perfect answers. Sutta Goswami was very pleased by the na nature of these questions and he offered respect um, and worship to these questions. He offered respect to his questioners, like Prabhupada always, you know, would always end his classes, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, he's, he's thanking the questioners. Uh, Gumaraj as well is always very grateful for, for, for the questions. So he's doing that and he attempts to reply. I think I'm going a little bit too slow. So now we get to uh, the second the second verse, and here's where Sutta Goswami offers respects to Shukadev Goswami. So Sutta Goswami here is kind of showing us, um, showing us the etiquette for, for speaking the Bhagavatam. He offers respects to his audience, and now he's gonna offer some verses and praise to his guru, uh, uh, Sukadev, from, from whom he heard it. And he's, he's showing us the qualification uh, for speaking the Bhagavatam, offering respect above to his gurus, offering respect below to those those who are asking him the questions. Okay, so the second verse goes, Yam Pravant, uh, Yam Pravancha, uh, sorry, Sans I can speak a couple languages, but Sanskrit is not one of them. Yam Pravrajantam Anupetam Apeta Krityam, Dvaipayano Viraha Karta Ajuhava. Putretitan mayatayo taravo binedus tam sarva bhutam pridayam munim anatosmi. So Srila Sutta Goswami said, Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the great sage, Sukadev Goswami, who can enter the hearts of all. When he went away to take up the renounced order of life, leaving home without understanding the sacred thread ceremony, his father Vyasadev cried out to him, Oh, my son, indeed, only the, the trees echoed in response to their begrieved father. I'll also read the, uh, this other translation because it's, a, it's, it's quite interesting. It, of course, like Sanskrit, it can be uh, translated in many different ways. Um, here it says, I offer my respects to the sage Sukadev who has entered the minds of all beings and whom Vyas, his father cried out with the pain of separation. Oh son, 
when Sukadev, without even undergoing the samskars, left home and could not be brought back. Even the trees being attached to Shukadev called out, Oh, my son. So, uh, like I said, here we see Shukadev showing the, the etiquette, and now he's offering respects to his guru from whom he, from whom he heard the Bhagavatam. Um, the first time he was present there when Shukadev uh, appeared on the scene, um, when, when, Sukadev, when Shukadev appeared on the scene, sorry. Um, and he knew that he knew that the, the the nature of the questions that the sages were asking were very similar. So these are there's two verses coming up um, that praise his guru, uh, and they're very beautiful verses. So the, in this first verse, we see. Um, let's see that he left for the renounced order without even he's described as leaving for the renounced order without even performing the reformatory rites, the sacred that thread ceremonies um, for this prescribed duties, not even getting initiated. He just, he just got up and left. And it's a very, it's a very interesting, uh, um, you know, quality that's brought out or, or that's described as most people when they renounce, they know what they're renouncing. <laughs> They've had some experience of what it is and they give it up and uh, you know that there's there's something to that, but this is someone who never who who didn't even need to experience it once before he was able to, um, before he was able to renounce it. And it's funny because most people, uh, it, it's a very like uh, kind of like glorious thing to be able to do that. Often when a very young, like a young devotee comes into the ashram without ever having kind of been out in the world um, or experienced different things like working or relationships. Um, or something, it's kind of like, wow, they've, you know, without even having, <laughs> having uh, experienced those things, he's decided to join, he or she has decided to come and join the ashram, um, you know, and with give, giving them up without even trying them. It's, a, it's quite, a, quite a high thing. And in, in this world, at least, it doesn't usually, it doesn't usually pan out. So you, when you see these devotees who join, say, join Prabhupada, and they just stuck with it the whole time, um, it's, uh, it's very extraordinary because uh, what mostly what happens is at some point people need to go and need to go ex to, to to experience these things. It's very hard to renounce them without having to having tried them in the first place. So it's a it's a it's uh, quite a glorification when he says that um, he's described as the son of Vyas, and Vyas is of course the kind of meta narrator of the of the Bhagavatam. Um, uh, Vyasa is a, is a title, really, um, like Swami is a title, uh, um, but they're, they're referring to Vipayano Vyas here. So this is a, a Vyas, of course, that we're most familiar with. Um, and it seems in a sense that Vyas is displaying a fault here because he's crying out an attachment to his son, to a son who obviously has no attachment uh, because he left. Just like just like that. Um, so it seems kind of like there's a, a fault on the part of of, of Vyas, but really, I think we all know that being attached to a sadhu is, is not a fault. Um, and here it's described in a really beautiful way where it says, uh, um, oh, it's, it's, it's written a little bit nicer in this one. 
when he's when it's well when when it's described that even the trees cried out in separation and it's also and then it's also given here sarva bhuta hudayam that he sukadev had entered the hearts of all living beings and therefore when he left not only his father cried out um, but the trees also cried out in separation so it's it's a very nice description it's a very nice description of a of of, of a saintly person it's kind of, we we find this description in the bhagavatam um, someone who sees the pain and pleasures of others as their own or, or this equal vision, um, samadarshana, um, as descriptions of the saints. Um, this is somebody who loves the whole world and who the whole world loves, including the trees. And that's that's what's brought out here. Um, Shukadeva is like a, a child of the world or a child of the universe. He's naked, he has no um, no shame. He's in, He loves everyone and everyone loves him. The trees were not scared of him. Um, <laughs> they knew he wasn't, he wouldn't cut them down. You know, he, his heart was open. He, had, he didn't have to build any kind of fort around his heart. Um, he had the whole world in his heart. So, so the trees were not scared of him. They knew that he would not cut them down. That he, basically what it's saying is when someone, a transcendental, transcendentalist like this, like Shukadeva Swami is, um, He's not a threat. Um, this is the world of um, dog eats dog, uh, or how's it described in, in Sanskrit? Um, Jivo jivasya jivanam, one living being is food for another. And it's, it's, you know, it's shown here that, you know, it's the transcendentalist actually who, who, um, who becomes threat, uh, who becomes Truly nonviolent. They they are they're no longer a threat because they're no no longer playing the same the playing the same game. So um, like right now, I mean, the natural world is petrified of human beings. Um, we're we've become quite a, a blight on the on the face of the earth. But in this verse, we see that um, Shukadev Goswami was was the trees were in love with him. So he's somebody who the trees were in love with. Makes me think a little bit again, not to go back to Christianity again, but it makes me think of uh, um, what's his name, Saint Francis. He's also depicted as a, a friend of the, the forest, a friend of the animals. They weren't scared of him. Um, they knew that his heart, uh, you know, held something beyond that. That wasn't his ego. It was he had transcended that. So. Um, Funnily enough, when Gurmaj grew up as a Catholic boy, I don't, I'm sure most of you know this, and when he, I guess in Catholicism, when you get um, confirmation, which is, you know, some kind of step on the way, um, you get to choose the name of the saint. And I'm pretty sure that Gurmaj, uh, I hope I'm remembering correctly, forgive me if not, but I I'm pretty sure Gurmaj chose the name of, of Francis. He was attracted to that, that type of um, personality, so. St. Francis was a little similar to Shukadev Goswami in that sense. And this uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur points out that this, this is actually an example of one of the, the qualities of bhakti, the, of bhakti that appears in, um, in the higher stages of, of sadhana bhakti. So it's a quality called shubhada. Um, there's six different qualities that uh, appear along the way, uh, two of them in sadhana bhakti, two of them in... Uh, in uh, Bhava Bhakti and two of them in Prema Bhakti. And you've probably heard them before, like Kleshagni, Shubhada. So that's what I'm talking about here. These are um, 
they come in in sadhana bhakti kleshani subhara uh, i have the other ones written down here um in baba comes moksha lagu uh, moksha lagu takrit and sudurlaba so it makes a little of liberation and um is very rarely attained and in prema there's sandrananda visheshatma and sri krishna karshini which means very intense kind of bliss and it has the the, the power to to capture Krishna. So one of these is being shown here in this verse, according to Vishwanath, and that's the quality of Shubhada. And Shubhada, again, like many things in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, is broken down into to various more uh, lists and categories, but the two main uh, elements of Shubhada are that he loves the whole world and the whole world loves him. Um, so, so Vishwanath, he makes a nice comment uh, that is worth repeating in relation to this verse. Vishwanath comments that, um, you know, explaining why it's not a fault of, of Vyasadeva for being attached and calling out to his son. Um, you know, the, 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 the trees are there doing the same thing, but he says affection for a person who resides in the hearts of all living beings, like attraction for the all attractive deity of the Lord is not material illusion. So we, you know, we, we know that by attachment and attraction to the sadhus, um, to people who are functioning on a on a different plane, they're not functioning on the the plane of exploitation, but they're you know perfectly situated in in a serving disposition. By being attached to those type of people, it's not the same type of thing as being attached um, to friends and family um, in this world. So it's not a fault of Yasudeva. In fact, it's a some kind of ornament to be attached to that type of person, and we should we should want to be attached to people to people like that. Uh, Vishwanath also makes a nice comment um, here that Sutta is praying that since Shukadeva had entered the hearts of all beings, even the hearts of the trees, that he should enter his heart um, and to please, to, to help him please the hearers of the Bhagavatam and to himself um, be pleased by the recitation of his disciple. So this is a meditation that's kind of implied that the reciters of the Bhagavatam um, should keep in mind when speaking the Bhagavatam. Uh, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I'll go, move on to the third verse. Yasvanu bhavam akilashruti sharam ekam adhyatma deepam akiti tirshatam tamodam samsadinam karunayaha purana guiham kamdhyasam sunam upayami gurum muninam. And this verse goes as, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto him, Shuka, the spiritual master of all sages, the son of Yasudev, who out of his great compassion for those gross materialists who struggle to cross over the darkest regions of material existence, spoke this Purana, the cream of Vedic knowledge after having personally assimilated it by experience. So here we see, um, Again, a, a, sec a second glorification. He's described as the son of Yasam, but he's also described as the guru of the Munis, guru, uh, Gurum Muninam. So um, Munis means big thinkers. Uh, it means you know the all these these very intelligent uh, intelligent people, and he was the guru of them. Um, so what's implied is that it's not stated in the Bhagavatam, but what's implied is that all these people were giving their opinions on what Parikshit should do at the time of death. Parikshit was asking these questions and um, uh, it's implied that, that the, the 
the gathering of Munis there were all giving different opinions and they were all silenced when Shukadev um, appeared on the, on the scene. He appeared naked and they could understand. So you can imagine there's so many, so many talking heads on YouTube, so many big thinkers, if, if just one naked boy was able to come and, and silence them all. Um, he spoke it only out of compassion. Samsarinam karunayaha puranaguyam. Puranaguyam means uh, this, this secret purana, the secret knowledge. And that, of course, is um, the secret knowledge of, uh, is that, uh, well, love conquers. Um, that's, that, that's what we find in the Bhagavatam, the teaching of the Bhagavatam, that God is conquered by love. Love reigns supreme. Bhakti controls Krishna, Sri Krishna Karshini. Right, um, so that this is the most secret Purana, and he spoke it out of compassion. Um, so he had nothing to gain, um, and that again is very otherworldly because most things that go on this in this world are transactional. We do things, you know, hoping to get something out of them or, or whatever. So, so he spoke it only out of compassion. Um, he had nothing to gain. He didn't, he was already naked. He had no need for clothing. Um, he had no need for followers. He came, he arrived alone. Actually, he had followers, children who were taunting him and teasing him. So he didn't do it for throwing stones. Even he didn't do it for followers. Um, and he he had no need for money or any of these types of things. So why did he do it? It what you know where where does it come? Why did he do it? He did it out of compassion. Um, he had nothing to gain. So it, that's a, on the very high level. But I think uh, you know on a more on a lower level, it's it's kind of telling us, you know, uh, you know, he, he did he was compassionate for no reason. And I think it's also telling us that we should be we should just be nice for no reason. <laughs> I don't know. It's different to to speak this kind of knowledge and be able to really, you know, provide people with a path to liberation. But in a day to day context, perhaps it's just it's just telling people just to be nice for no reason. Um, you really, I mean, people have, have all kinds of terrible experiences and it's, it's a very difficult world actually. There's a lot of suffering in this world. So it goes a long way to just show kindness for no reason at all in our day-to-day -day dealings. Um, so adhyatma deepam atitir shatam tamotam. That means by, by shedding light on, this, on the soul, um, he offered them a way to cross out of out of um, the darkness of samsara. This is kind of, these are kind of like classic, um, classic ways of describing the guru, uh, Om Ajnana and, and such. Uh, the verses of the, the first verse of the Gurvastikam that out of compassion, um, you know, the, the, they, they give knowledge of, because that's really how one, one is able to uh, solve the, solve comprehensively the problems of this world, I think what's what do they call it? Par upkar, I think, is the the um, ultimate welfare work, um, the ultimate form of compassion. And so there, you know, there's of course there's different levels: uh, uh, feeding the poor or whatnot, social change, these types of things. And as uh, they are a reflection or some kind of hologram of the the ultimate form of compassion. So it's it's not that they should be. Uh, Disregarded in any way, they are—they are a form of a, but, but the ultimate form of compassion is to, you know, solve the problem comprehensively, and that's—that's that's done through, um, you know, 
shedding light on the on the the nature of consciousness, um, and that's what the guru does, and that's what uh, what Shukadev Goswami is is doing here. So, um, I don't know how long are these classes supposed to be? One hour, or is it one hour? Okay, so there's just uh, just a few more minutes. Um, so I'll just read this. Uh, this next verse here goes, Narayanam Namaskriti. Oh, this is this is the invocation for the for the, the Shrimad Bhagavatam. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaiva Narotamam Devim Sarasvatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udirayat. So before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is our very means of conquest, I offer my respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead, Narayana, unto Narana Narayana Rishi the supermost human being, unto Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Sri Vyasadev, its author. So again, this is, um, again, this is uh, uh, Sutta Goswami showing the etiquette um, of how to, how to approach the Bhagavatam and share it. Um, this is one verse that's spoken, at, often recited at the beginning of the Bhagavatam. The other one is Nasta Preshu Abhadreshu Nityam Bhagavataselya, which interestingly enough is also found in this chapter, just a little further ahead. So those two verses are, are found here. Um, so he, he, I think traditionally there's a certain way that one um, speaks on a mantra or on a, a holy text is, uh, there's a form of offering, um, offering respect to the, the sage who spoke it, the, the presiding deity of the place that it was spoken, the meter is uh, the meter is talked about the bija mantra, the the shakti of the work. So we kind of see that all here. Um, we see the name of the sage Vyasadev. We see well the meter is is Gayatri, and that's given in the first 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 um, chapter. And then we see uh, the form of the Lord here is Narotama. So that means uh, Nara Utam. So the the best of the of the human-like, so it's Krishna as a human. Krishna, Krishna is described as human-like. His emotions are relatable. His his interactions and in rasa with his devotees are um, are human-like. So he's referred to Narottamam here. Um, the Shakti here is interesting. Devim Saraswatim. So this is um, Divya Saraswati is referred to here. There's Saraswati who uh, is in the 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 realm of um, mundane knowledge she's worshipable if if say one has a exam to take or one has to fill out a form or is studying at university i think maybe you pray to saraswati but um Devi, uh, uh divya saraswati is kind of like a, a transcendental counterpart and she's the she's the she presides over divine knowledge um so i think perhaps she's talked about in the brahma samhita when Brahma receives the mantra, it's I think maybe from Divya Saraswati. She's also invoked actually in our um, uh, Guru Gayatri mantra uh, with the, the bija there is the is a bija actually for uh, uh, for Divya Saraswati. Um, some people say too, I think I think Vishnu Priya perhaps is is some kind of representation of Divya Saraswati too. Usually Narayan is described, uh, described as having uh, being surrounded by three shaktis always. Um, what are they? Bhu, 
Sri and and Leela or Nila, and the Bhu Shakti I think is uh, she's she's uh, Vishnu Priya is is associated with that, and then the the deity residing over the place who is Narana uh, Narayan Rishi. So this is Narayan Rishi is kind of a cool uh, a cool uh, avatar of the Lord. He's like a dual avatar. Um, just like uh, Krishna and Balaram, they come together. So Narayana also, they always come together. They're always two. Krishna and Balaram always come together and Narayana always come together. And they preside over, the reason why they preside over is because they they preside over Bhadrika Ashram, I think, where, uh, I think that's it, where where Vyas wrote the work. So they're invoked here. And, and they're actually a nice, a nice um, form of the Lord for the devotee because Nara, of course, means human. Narayana means, uh, you know, the shelter of all. So it's kind of like, um, I think in the Mahabharata, they're described as, uh, or Krishna and Arjuna's are described as some kind of manifestation of Narayana. Although it's, I guess it's probably the reverse that uh, that Narayana is some manifestation of Krishna and Arjuna. But it's a nice deity because it it shows the the jiva and and God. It shows the soul and God kind of together, always in this uh, union. So it's it's nice, you know, the 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 soul and God together um, is kind of represented by by Narayana. So there's just a few minutes left. If I could just do this last verse, Munaya Sadhu Prishtoham Bhavadvir Loka Mangalam Yat Kuta Krishna Samprashno Yenatma Suprasiddhati. So this here we'll end with this verse, and this is again. Uh, uh, Sutta Goswami is going back, and he kind of he 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 spoke of respect in the first verse to his his questioners, and now he's really showing that respect. Um, uh, he's saying Munayosaru Pustoham Bhavadvir Loka Mangalam. So he's he's just um, he's really uh, again. Did I read it? Oh, sages, I have been justly questioned by you. Your questions are worthy because they relate to Lord Krishna and so are relevance, uh, and so are of relevance to the world's welfare. Only questions of this sort are capable of completely satisfying the self. Uh, so this is the final verse before he goes into actually answering the questions. And it's a second verse of glorification for his audience. Um, so he's he's saying Munayo Sadhu Prastoham. He's the sometimes the word sadhu means bravo. So he's saying bravo, bravo, um, excellent questions. He's 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 very happy and enthused by the inquiry, and that the whole world will be benefited benefit from these questions because they're about Krishna. Um, uh, so he's kind of saying the whole world should be asking these questions. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, they're not. Prabhupada talks in this commentary a lot about these question and answer between in the natural world, the birds are asking questions, and, uh, and the bees are asking questions and whatnot. Um, but he, he's, he's pleased because the whole world should be kind of asking these types of questions, these why questions. Um, and, and why? Because why are they... Uh, why are they so nice, such excellent questions? Because they're about Krishna. So... You know, we're having classes every day on Krishna, seven days a week. It would seem like it would get boring, but I'm sure it doesn't. So Krishna's, like we know, he's all attractive. So we can go on and on, um, on and on about him. And it ends with yenatma um, suprasiditi. So this, these words actually come up precisely the same in the first chapter where they're asking um, 
you know, what is the, the prime occupation of humanity? Um, and so these, these, come, these questions come up again um, here. And he, he's, he's basically saying, you know, the whole world should be asking these questions. So thank you for asking them. Unfortunately, the whole world is not, um, but there's no shortage on that side. So, um, uh, you know, thank you very much for, for, for bringing these up. And again, we see just uh, the, his, his qualification, again, showing respect to his questioners. It, it's Gumaraj brings it up, but it, it's it's reminiscent of Bhakti Siddhanta in one of his um, Vyas Puja ceremonies, where uh, you know he's up on this big big Vyasa song, like like Sutta Goswami would be garlanded and worshipped, and you know kind of answering the question, well, if you're supposed to be humble servants, why are you behaving in in this way? And he goes on to give a really nice explanation as to how he sees his students actually as manifestations of his guru, keeping engaged, keeping him engaged in speaking about Krishna out of Maya and whatnot. So certainly um, Sutta Goswami has the same kind of kind of outlook here. And then I guess, uh, I guess I'll stop there. And then the next class will start getting into some of the, the questions that the sages asked are going to be answered. The next verse is a very, very famous one, Savaipum Samparo Dharmo. So it's, this is a definition of, of bhakti, one of the, the seminal definitions of bhakti. There's a few of them um, in the scripture that are kind of all very similar, and one of them is, is right here. And uh, yeah, the Vasudeva, Bhagavati, Bhakti Yoga, Prayoji. So, so now some of the very famous verses are coming. So this little introduction to the chapter was basically Sutta Goswami offering respects to the questions and the sages and offering respects to his guru and the, the deities of the, uh, the deities that preside over the text and the place and what. Okay, so I'll stop there and I'll uh, see if I can remember how to unmute, which I don't, oh yeah, mute all. Okay, so I'm clicking so to allow participants to unmute themselves. So I think if you want to unmute yourself, you should be able to. If somebody wants to say something, if you have any um, comments or corrections, I'd be happy to hear them. Or if you have any questions, uh, perhaps we could explore them together. Prabhuji, can I ask a question? Sure. Who, who is it? This is Brigu, Brigu Pat from Finland. Hi, Brigu. Thank you very much for this this talk. I found it very, very enlightening and, and nice to listen to. Oh, thank uh, you. I liked very much what you said about uh, uh, how uh, uh, Suto was, was addressed as the son of Roma Harshana. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, do we know anything more about this Roma Harshana? I mean, he doesn't come across as so nicely in the story that you you told us but no uh, is, do we know anything else about him does he speak any of the puranas for example i'm not sure i don't i don't i don't know anything about romaharshana be, beyond what uh, is in the 10th canto there so i went i went a couple of days ago and just kind of quickly read over the story it's pretty short um, but he was a student of vyas i know that um, and he was speaking uh, to the sages, to, to a group of sages in um, in uh, Naimisharanya, and and his son was pre the the sages had 
I know they had offered him a blessing that he would have like long life and always speak beautifully and these types of things. And then when Baladev came in and, and killed him, the sages were worried because um, they had offered a benediction and now Baladev had kind of like, you know, put a stick in the spokes of it because the whatever the Brahmins say is supposed to supposed to come true. And that's how, so Baladev, um, remedied the situation by saying, well, the father is born as the son. So the son, the son will be, will get all, all those types of things. That's how uh, uh, Sutta was put on the, the, the uh, platform for speaking. But I don't, I don't really know much more about that. Do you know anything? No, no. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. I didn't really see it anywhere, but I, I thought it was interesting that he was referred to by that name, just because there's such a contrast, you know, he was on, he's on the Vyasa San and comparing that to his father on the Vyasa San and how their behavior was very different. But um, I could, I could kind of look into it a little bit and see if we can find something interesting. Or if anybody else on here knows. Anybody else? Any comments or corrections or questions? Uh, do you hear me? Hello? I think so. I, hello? You hear me? I think so. All right. Uh, my name is Karpatar. Das. Hi. Uh, hi, well, I want to say I'm really so glad I actually came today, completely by kind of accident, uh, because you talk about the second verse of the uh, second chapter, the first canto, which is one of the most important verses for me personally. Uh, mm. If you don't mind, I would like to read it again and take a couple of words. Uh, sure. I've got a Vikrata uh, Chakravati Taku commentary and translation. Suta said, I offer my respects to the sage Vikadeva who has entered the mind of all beings and to whom Vyasa, his father, cried out with pain of separation. Awesome. When Shikadeva, without even undergoing samskaras, left home and could not be brought back. Even the trees being attached to Shikadeva called out Otson. Uh, well, this verse, uh, I remember it very well when I joined, uh, actually, when I became Har uh, Brahmachari. And uh, I was kind of confused if I should detach from everything, I should separate from my feelings, uh, from, yeah. Uh, for me, I wasn't sure if spiritual life meant to be uh, completely bereft of feelings. And a couple of months into Brahmachai life, I found this verse. Uh, and I found it very profound because I still find it very nice meditation because it shows the spiritual life is not about, uh, I think like that, about perfection, but actually about uh, weakness in a sense. Because we can see here that Vyasa is crying for his son. From the beginning, we have this, this description. We have like we have Brahman, we have uh, Bhagavan, uh, Paramatma. These heavy topics, these all the sages, and here we have uh, well, just basic weakness. You could say weakness in the yeah in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this verse is very important because it sets the tone for all Bhagavata. Yeah. If you know Sorry, it says for it says for what the tone the tone for the whole Bhagavatam. Oh, the tone for the whole Bhagavatam. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very nice meditation, and I was very glad actually to 
on in straight format verse. Well, I'm I'm glad you heard. It's nice to have a a, a particular kind of relationship with with the verse or with individual. This is also a really special verse for me too. I like it. I, I came across a recording of an Indian lady singing it. And sometimes I just, I mean, I'm too shy to sing in, in front of you guys, but you know, it's a really nice verse to sing. Yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, it's, it's what did I hear? I, I heard it from somewhere once that, I mean, it's, you shouldn't want parents not to be attached to their kids. You shouldn't want parents not to, you know, cry out for their children because in fact, you know, um, I don't know, these, these kind of foundational family relationships, they, in a sense, they only um, actually facilitate taking up spiritual life. I heard somewhere from some kind of devotee psychologist, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not Siddhanta or anything, but that, you know, by having a father engaged with the children, loving the children, like, you know, seems like the is here, but uh, having a father engaged with the children, you know, worried about the children, crying about loving his children. The children grow grow up feeling that ah, oh, there. You know, I have a father who cares about me and who loves me, and then that feeling is very easily trans uh, transposed onto God, where they feel oh, God loves me, to, and that you're able to have if you have if you have a relationship with the father and mother, then you can also it it. it you don't have to, I guess. It doesn't have to, but certainly, if you have a dysfunctional and abusive relationship with a, a, a detached, distant father or abusive mother, it makes it a lot harder to um, to have those feelings towards the divine, the, the the god or the goddess or whatever. I Gumaraj, I think, tells of like when the Buddhists first came to North America, and there's, I mean, Buddhists have some real nice meditations, and one of them is meditating on. Uh, the love of your mother and I think somehow kind of like uh, extending that to you know your enemies your friends the whole world is some kind of expansion of that kind of there's some mother meditation and he's he talks about how when the these first Buddhist um, uh, missionaries were coming to the west and so many people had such dysfunctional messed up relationships with their mothers you know that they couldn't they couldn't relate to this type of meditation or this type of love they were very surprised. Um, the, these, I think, they were to probably Tibetan Buddhists were very surprised at the 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 uh, you know the dysfunction uh, in the family in the West and how that you know I guess it was quite normal in in their communities that that uh, children felt loved by their mother and then they could take that love, meditate on it, and expand it. So it was shocking to them when they came. Thank you. That was an interesting. It's nice to hear people attached in there to certain verses and their, um, and, you know, their the stories behind why they are. Do you have anything else? No. Thank you. Does anybody else have any comments or questions or corrections? Jai, thank you for the class. It's Omkar. Hi, Omkar. Uh, in the beginning, you mentioned about the questioning mood that we should have good questions that we can apply into our sadhana. I was just left kind of self-conscious, wondering if my questions are always uh, uh, just uh, information extraction uh, 
uh, kind of mode. I don't know if you'd like to say a couple of things about that. I mean, I don't think I really, but. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a general point. I certainly don't think yours are. And there's definitely a place for that. Like Gumar's, um, just when he talks about this, uh, he, he says there's kind of like, there's a point where you come to the guru and you doubt and you put forth all these kinds of doubts and perhaps more kind of like existential type questions. And if the guru is able to um, uh, uh, dismiss those or dissipate those by quoting the scripture and by inspiring you and whatnot, um, you know, it's a big aha moment. You realize uh, what's going on. And then one would normally, uh, you know, take some kind of initiation or shelter of that guru. And then, and then after that, there's still questioning that goes on. Like he says, uh, there, there's a type of questioning that goes on until one takes diksha. And then after diksha, there's another type of questioning that goes on. And that might be a little bit more precise or, uh, uh, you know, about certain information, how to do things, how to not do things or, uh, you know, like the nature of, of the questioning could change at a, at a different point um, from from before, you know, from before having kind of the big existential questions. And then once those are are dealt with, then the, na the nature of one's questions will um, will change. I know the feeling, though, because sometimes, you know, you think, OK, well, Gumarsh is there and you ask a question. If it's a good question, he's going to go on for a long time. And if it's a bad question, he's going to answer it really fast. And it's some kind of like uh, determination of whether the question was good or not. But it's not always true because I've seen, you know, uh, you know, questions that didn't seem like they were much to it at all. And Gumaraj just, you know, opens it up into this amazing thing. And then I've, I've seen questions that to me seemed like really big questions. And Gumaraj just kind of like, answers them like that you know so it's it's hard to tell i think sridhar marsh was known for that too taking questions good or bad i mean there's no bad question you know i think it's more the intent behind the question and what the you know the intention of the person it's fun to know details about krishna i mean he's very charming and like who doesn't want to know whatever the, the all the different uh, categories of cows and uh, these types of things you know or whatever um, but it's more, I think, the intention behind it. Um, if you're just like trying to gather information so that you can show off at lunchtime or something like that, it's different than, um, you know. You know, one of the things about Gaudiya Vaishnavism is that, that's so engaging with them for the mind is that there's so many details and so many interesting facts and lists and categories. And I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong. So it must be more the intention. And and generally the, the sadhu can really take a, a bad question and turn it into something amazing. I think Sridhar Maharaj uh, was, was extremely expert at that. Is that, is that answer? Yeah, okay. Anything else, anybody? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you all for coming. It was nice to see all these names, all these names of people that I don't know. I hope that we get uh, that's what, what one thing that I really was really happy from uh, that Padmanabh Maharaj did this is so that we can kind of have get to know each other a little bit better. I hope that sometime we can meet in real life, in person. Um, yeah. Okay. So sorry, I just asked a question in the chat. Okay, sorry. That's okay. It's, I mean, I can read it out loud, or you can read it. At if you could read it out loud, I'm not very oh, yeah. dexterous on this. Sorry, thank you very much for the class. It's really nice. 
Oh, hi, I just Marie. had a question. Hari Bol. Hari Bol. I had a question about Naima Sharanya, because I, I, I'd always thought about it ever since I first heard about it. Um, and, it's, and I think there's a bit where it's described as being the hub of the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just always thought it must be a, an amazing place to visit. But I, ha- I just wondered, like, is it regarded as like an important holy place for Gaudiya Vaishnavas or did Mahaprabhu go there or maybe has Guru Maharaj been there or, you know, just um, mm-hmm. if there's any information about. I don't know too much. I know I've read the, the story in passing of how Brahma created the wheel in his mind and that um, you know, I think the one that you're referring to there, the edge of the um, the wheel landed there, and then and then there's certain. The only other things that I know about it are um, that uh, to do with the name, and and I, I can't remember the Sanskrit very well. But one of them has to do with like a blink of an eye, I think, where um, Vishnu blinked his eyes or something like that, and so things perfection can happen very fast there and uh you know i don't i don't actually really have many more details than that there there was something in this book i don't know if i'll be able to find it fast enough let me just see or i don't know does brigu know anything not so much i've I've been there once many many years back uh, I remember it was a very beautiful place, and and I remember there's 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 kind of a lake where the chakra um, came down or something like that. Uh, they said it was uh, that it didn't have any any. It was bottomless that, that lake, uh, but it's it's a long time back. I don't remember that much. I'm sure somebody else has been there and can can tell you more. But I remember I liked it very much. I could I I can read this paragraph little paragraph here if you want from this commentary it says um, uh, so it says by om the speaker indicates that the bhagavatam is an, expen- an expansion of the meaning of om brahma created a wheel in his mind the rim of this wheel is called nami the place where the rim nami fell off shriyate is called namisha or naimisha the vayu purana describes this this mental wheel created by me will be released. The place where the rim comes off will be favorable for performing austerities. Having said this and having created the wheel brilliant like the sun in his mind and offering his respects to it, Brahma released the great deity, the wheel. The rejoicing Brahman has offered respect to the Lord of the universe, then journeyed to the place where the rim of the wheel fell off. That force became known as Naimisha and is worshiped by all the sages. Then it goes on and says, various devotees have personal desires to fulfill through various types of bhakti. All the desires of these persons upon which their minds, free from distraction, have become fixed can be fulfilled by, oh, sorry. The Bhagavatam has been arranged to bring out this point clearly at the very beginning with the description of the sages at Naimisha. Naimisha can also be spelled Naimisa. The meaning of Naimisa with a cerebral S is found in the Vraha Purana. The Lord spoke to the sage Goramukha. Having done that, the Lord then spoke to Goramukha. The powerful demon was killed at that forest, Aranya, quickly in a moment, Nimisha. Thus the place is called Naimisharanya. It will be very suitable for Brahmins in the future. By using this word with this meaning, it is suggested that one should reside at this place for quickly killing enemies, such as material desire. So sorry there, I got it mixed up. With There's, there's another one about Vishnu blinking, but 
um, I guess that's that's all that I know about it. And that Roma Harshna was there too. Balaram visited, was Balaram visited there. I think before he started, his, he killed a couple of demons in Roma Harshna and then started his pilgrimage and he was there. But I don't know too much more besides that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the questions. Thanks for showing up guys. Um, oh yeah. Um, so I'll see you all tomorrow for more question and answers. You can participate in the Bhagavatam with Gumraj. And um, these classes go on every day of the week. So lots of interesting topics. Okay, Haribo, thank you. I hope to meet you all in person someday. Jai. Hey, Bo. Jai, thank you.